Welcome to the bandwidth. Your first stop for collectible finance here at the Band Arbitrage Network. We combine data and experience to help you understand the world of collectible finance. Father Ken here. Thank you for joining us today and building your knowledge in collectible finances. Wolf is with me and we are ready to share some of the amazing things we found out over the past few weeks. Wolf, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well, getting all my data in line here and getting ready for the cast and join another early morning one. I kind of enjoy doing these in the morning. I don't know about you. I kind of enjoy them too. I'm able to to set an alarm for 6 a.m. and get up and, and sit down and enjoy talking with my friends. Yeah, it's nice. Something that uh, was a little bit lost with, with COVID and the shutdown and everything is being able to to go out and have conversations. So it's nice to to be getting back in the swing of things, even if it's a little bit altered. Yeah, I have really missed over the last year being consistent with the cast. Uh, I We both got very busy. We both had a lot going on in our lives and things seem to be settling down now. So it's it's kind of good. And we both had an amazing unprecedented snowfall for our areas over the last week. And I think we're both kind of enjoying the, the sun coming up in that beautiful white winter wonderland. Oh yes. Oh yes, indeed. But that being said, we, we do have to talk about collectible finance. We do have to kind of talk about the things that, that make our world a little bit easier. It's, it's also making our world a little bit tougher because we actually have to stay on top of things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, just as an update, where have you been focusing over the last couple of weeks? The biggest thing that I've been working on has been uh, what's called a basket analysis. So, the fun thing about the way that TCG is reporting those copies sold in their panel, uh, to give some secrets away, and they're not really secrets, is that they are incredibly specific about when each card sells so when you look at it uh as a viewer on the website you can't see it but if you just poke around a little bit if you have if you have a little coding or web knowledge either or you can see the exact time down to the microsecond a card sold so what you can do is kind of reading between the shadows is if you aggregate all of the sales data and all of these copies sold across every single card which takes a little bit of effort you can then tie together what was sold at the same time so what i've Mm -hmm. been digging into is trying to figure out uh to a high degree of confidence what sells with what you know if i want to have an optimized inventory what sells with what And so, and it also allows me to be a lot more bullish on certain items than other people might be, even mainstream buy lists, because I know that my main selling outlet is probably TCG player at this point, um, or uh, buy list. But if I'm selling on TCG player, I'm okay taking a smaller margin if I know it's going to sell a lot. And if I know that when it sells, it's a lot more likely to sell with card X, Y, and Z. And so by trying to pull all this information together, I'm trying to really optimize what I'm willing to buy and then what I can hopefully sell. And the more cards that I can sell in individual orders, the easier it is for me just for book bookkeeping, um, you know, order packing, whatever it might be. So that has been my biggest project the, the past month or so. Yeah, I've I've actually started looking at cards that are a little bit older 
and when I say older in the collectible finance world, I mean two to three sets ago. Uh, stuff that we started getting about last summer. And so I've started looking there because I believe they're at the low part of their uh, active selling right now. I believe the, the market is fully saturated. People that want the cards are actively buying them. And I'm looking to get out of these in the next three to six months. Um, so next at the end of end of summer, I would love to to start listing these. In fact, I'm I'm already seeing a, a 25% gain, um, you know, before fees. So really, it's a wash right now if I list them. So once we get to the end of summer, three to six months down the road, I'm looking to list these. So I'm looking at things from Time Spiral Remaster. I'm looking at things from Modern Horizons 2, trying to figure out those cards that are going to have a gain through the through the through the next three to six months and you've been working pretty hard and heavy on a lot of different things with data and we'll we'll eventually get into them but i've just been using that velocity market analysis that you've been doing to see what what's selling and how quickly they're selling and i've been putting in buy list offers on on some of those just trying to gather cards to be able to to grab them and resell them so i'm that's kind of the niche I'm trying to find myself in now. I've I've moved from the uh, let's let's buy them for five bucks and resell for ten. You know that's all fine and good, but uh, that takes a lot of work to be able to to find that many cards. Yeah, yeah. The the one of the first lessons I think folks learn when they start getting into the buying and selling element of things here is that the hardest part is that resupply element. It is so difficult to resupply in quantity at profitable margins or even respectable margins consistently. It is just by far the hardest thing to do. So that makes a ton of sense. I will say though, my next project that I already have bookmarked because I'm going to try and actually go to events for the first time ever, Mm. just to fill in that massive hole in my experience is there is also... Uh, a few tricks that uh, I'm able to do wherein I can see what every single store's inventory is on TCG Player. What I can do with that knowledge then is I can see, okay, what did, and I won't name any sellers directly because they might get upset with me, but what does seller X have for sale as of today? And are they a direct seller? And does TCG Player show that direct copies are available right now? And then if I look back tomorrow, and I see that, okay, a card sold yesterday evening at the exact price that that seller had. And guess what? That's 20% above what TCG low would be without direct. I'm now able to see you know, what's selling at direct with a premium, what's selling above market price at a premium, uh, et cetera. And it just allows me to uh, begin digging into optimizations on top of just what sells together, but now what sells together at a direct premium to further refine and further refine that process. So sounds like something that I might have to to kick your way, hopefully, if I can make it, to, if I can refine it to being understandable and and clear and concise, which I think we all know is not, uh, it's not my strong suit all the time. But I think that's also one of the strengths. You're, you're forcing people to, un- to, to seek to understand your data and information. And that's kind of what we're all about here at the Ban Arbitrage Network. We, we really are about data over feelings. And that's, that's the thing that, that people struggle the most with is 
I feel like this card is going to go up in value. Therefore, I'm going to buy in. No, we, we don't play that game. We play the game of what does the data say? Where's the velocity at? Where are things actually selling? And then what can I get to get into that market? And each one of us has a has these little niche holes that we try to find where we can buy cards and then resell them. And that's really what it is. It's it's that simple. But I think the hard part for people is to understand that data over feelings is the actual way to go about things. Your data is is absolutely fantastic. But we have to learn how to use that data to be able to grow in our business. And I, I think that's where people struggle the most. I agree to a certain extent. I think, uh, and I'm always going to be the one to to shout the usage of, of data, obviously, from the hilltops. But if you're somebody who's been doing this for a while and you've found success and you're not using data, I use this in my career as well. I'm going to assume that you are tapping into pattern recognition without necessarily realizing it. I mean, I talk to so many account managers who just do phenomenal. And when you break down what they're doing, they're like, oh, yeah, I do do this every single time I approach an account or every time I, I do this. And they don't even realize they're doing the same thing. So if you have a system or, you know, if you're in this industry, I guess we'll call it generously, and you're making money and you're not using data, I think data is only going to further help you. However, if you're new and you're kind of a rookie, uh, and what I would say too is if you're coming more from a player aspect, this is always, you know, I can brew the coolest deck or the best, and it's like, odds are you can't. Just listen to the pros. It's that kind of mentality that I like to really espouse. If you haven't found success yet and you don't have a pattern set up, listen to what the sales data is telling you. Listen to velocity. Listen to what's actually happening uh, and kind of try and set your desire to beat the market aside until you can understand the market. You can't beat something if you don't understand it. So first understand it, whether that's through your own pattern recognition, uh, which I think is the harder way, or the data. And then at the end of the day, I think the best is the combination of the two once you get really good. Um, but that is quite the journey. Yeah. The The hardest part that I think people struggle with is really the data that they're using is not good data. You know, there's, there's a number of websites out there that give delayed information that, that they, they take a look at the, the data that they have and then they hold on to it for a couple of weeks and then they decide, all right, now we're going to, now we're going to look at it. Now we're going to, to see what's happening. And then they release it to the public, you know, seven to 10 days later, you know, there's a number of different websites out there that track, you know, the, those cards that are going up or going down in price. And I don't think they really understand exactly what's happening in the market soon enough. And so having quality data at the right time is I think is is one of the most important things. It really comes down to I'm going to harp on this actually probably more than data 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 is knowing your position in the market itself. So the expediency, the the 
quickness by which you're able to see the data goes back to I think what we were we were discussing a little bit earlier, which is you need to be first consistently to refill cards in your inventory. And if you want to be the first to get the best cards at the most profitable price, you need to get that information as soon as possible. Compounding that though, you also need to realize where are you buying from? So it's all well and good to know, okay, I know right now this card is selling like hotcakes on TCG player. Uh, let's pretend it's from a new Innistrad set and it's this vampire lord. He's a little mirthless, who knows? Uh, but how quickly are you going to get that card in hand? So perhaps you've exhausted all the North American outlets. Now you've got to go to the EU or Japan or somewhere else. And okay, how long is that going to take to get to you? How long is demand going to last for that card? And these are all different things that there is no data for yet. There just isn't. Not enough time in the day and there's not enough accurate data to really present these things. So you can get as much information, but you also need to understand how are you utilizing it? Because I can, you know, if I give you a hammer and you're trying to, you know, use it as a wrench, it's not going to, it's not going to go well or as well as you hope it will. So understanding the context of your position and how you are going to use this information going in is very, very key. So one of the cards that I'd like to point out that kind of did this and we kind of got stuck Personally, I got stuck with cards that uh, just didn't do what I wanted them to do due to a number of different, you know, personal uh, kerfluffles over the last year. Um, so one of the things that went on is that in May of 2021, I purchased uh, Vengevines for about $5 a piece out of Europe. And my thought was, Hey, Phoenix is doing really well right now. Vengevine does something similar. They're both spells matter decks. The thing that I didn't think about was the the hate that was coming on because of Phoenix. Um, you know, there's there's so many exile your your graveyard effects that I completely forgot about. Um, you know, because my feelings got in the way. And so my thought was is all right, I'm gonna buy these for about five bucks out of Europe get them shipped over due to a number of different things. I didn't get them for, for six months from May, uh, almost seven. And it, it just took that much time. And so it went from really about $5 spiked over 30 for about a week. And then, well, I should say spiked over 20 for about a week and then has been slowly on the decline ever since, ever since. And, and now they're back to 10 bucks. And if you can't get the cards quick enough, it's it's not going to matter that you bought them for $5. You've just held money in a in an area that you're going to lose if you don't sell. And so having that data and having that those spells matters. My my feeling said, "Hey, this is going to spike." The issue was is I couldn't get the cards quick enough to be able to resell them into the into the spike. You got to be able to have those connections and you got to have those relationships to be able to get the cards that you want when you need them to, to try to resell. So I, I, I've just been thinking about that for the last, you know, several months because, uh, the guy that I, I had originally talked to about them, 
uh, still wants them. <laughs> it's just been, you know, six months since I since I bought the cards. Yeah, and the other thing too is you've got to have the the wallet on standby as well when you find it. Which oh my goodness! A number of people don't necessarily have, uh, and something I'm still working on, <clears throat> to be honest, because that is another huge element to be have that. Uh, if you'll pardon the reference, uh, if some of you get this, if you've got the rainy day fund, uh, it's yeah. very helpful. Uh, when something drops in your lap unexpectedly and you're able to capitalize on it while still performing, you know, business as usual, uh, it really does compound that you've got to know your position and be able to hammer it home when the opportunity shows up. I, I think that's the hardest part for people who are just starting off in MTG finance. You know, uh, as I've been considering taxes this year, as I've been considering, you know, all the things that I've I've done over the last year. I, I don't have a lot of standby cash to show for my work. I have a lot of cards, but they're not worth anything until they sell. So I've got to start thinking about, all right, what do I do? What do I invest in? What do I have sitting here that I could sell rather quickly to be able to get more capital? But the issue is, is it's still going to take three to four weeks to be able to get that data, to be able to get that cash back in your hands. So as of right now, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here thinking, all right, how much cash do I want to have on hands? And I'm, I'm a small buyer. I'm a small reseller. I am the smallest backpack probably in all of ban, which is completely fine by me. I am learning so much. I'm, I'm making money. I'm having fun. Uh, I just can't capitalize on every opportunity that we find. The cool part is, is I don't need to. I can pick and choose what I involve myself in. And right now I've got some pretty, pretty solid avenues that I can capitalize on, but I don't have the rainy day funds. So if a, a local collection pops up, I can't rush out and just buy it. I don't have, you know, two grand sitting around to, to buy somebody's modern collection. But what I can do is I can pick and choose and then I can connect people to be able to make that, that whole purchase happen. And then I can forward things on to people as they see fit, which I've, I've talked about doing. Um, there are some people that trust me enough to be able to, to get them the cards and get them the, um, get them the things that I've found locally. But really, I have to be able to have that rainy day fund available to buy things when it's time. And, you know, I just find too many good deals. And then... Like right now, I'm looking at my shelf of wonder and looking at all of the amazing uh, secret layer drops. There's a Zendikar Rising set boosters, Jumpstart. There's some Commander decks. Oh, I also have three Commander Legends boxes sitting here. Huh. Oh yeah, the uh, the if if you have too many good deals, that's always the best problem to have, though. Yeah. For for being honest, that that means times are good and you're doing something right. So that's great, but. I'm of the position or belief that this is a very oversaturated market. So whether you like it or not, it's a race. This is all a race to be first. You got to be first or you got to be smarter or you got to cheat. Um, cheating is really hard, but still doable. But uh, might as well put your efforts into being smarter first. And the easier of those two is definitely just getting there first. And the easiest way to get there first in terms of deals is to be local and be grassroots. The problem is that does limit the 
size at which you can grow because there's only so much area you can claim or outcompete with larger or bigger or name your competitor here. But being first to realize the opportunity, being first to be able to capitalize on the opportunity, being first to list it into the spike, being the first to execute on the proper strategy to out a whole bunch, all of this, it all boils down to you have to be first. And because so many people are racing to be first, you can try and be smarter. I've tried very hard, but it's just a hell of a lot easier to be just to to get there first and get in and out and then let people try and uh try and play the game otherwise but it's very difficult to reliably be first in every race yeah one of the things that i i do when i'm bored and or when i'm playing mtg arena for my daily wins uh is i hop on twitter and I, I know I say that with great trepidation. I, I'm probably closer to boomer than, than most people in the band arbitrage network, but I go on Twitter and I just see all the things that people post and there's some really odd stuff that people post and there's some really interesting things. One of the things that I, I came across Wolf was your velocity, uh, report for the fourth quarter and I, I fell into it and it was kind of cool to look at. And then I started reading the comments and I just started shaking my head. I don't, I don't understand what people are thinking. At this point, I, I just kind of have a laugh at it. And this is why even on the thing that I posted last night in market activity, where I just showed the top 40 uh, items that have generated revenue for, for TCP player in the last, in the last quarter, it's just, be careful, here's data. Because I know at this point, I, I, this is a little condescending, but I feel like a dad telling a son, don't go too close to the fire, it's going to burn you. And then they immediately do exactly what you tell them not to, or they immediately jump to like the easiest solution, which is very rarely the right <laughs> solution. So I just at this point like to just throw the information out there, let everybody just make whatever decision you want, because I also know for every one person who does that, there's going to be two people who capitalize on it much more efficiently. So yeah, you kind of learn to just throw it out there, see what people make of it, let them have the conversation and hope they work it out in the long run. I guess I have a, a higher expectation for the population at large. You know, I, I have this expectation that that somebody out there has to be smart enough to realize what gift they're getting in seeing this data. And I, I hate to say it, man. I don't think people know what to do. They, they just aren't as smart as I give them credit for. Like I, I take a look at this all copy sold year end review, you know, for $50 plus cards. And I'm just like, all right, what do I have that can move? Where can I source some of these cards? What can I look for in the long run? And it, it seems pretty clear to me that, you know, I have to find cards in a certain price range for a certain price, and then they'll, they're more active to sell. But I think people are just struggling to know what to do. And I don't get it. It comes down to, to execution. 
in my opinion, that most folks who are doing this at the the amateur level, and I would include both of us in that, yeah, information overload is is a thing. And there's only so many places you can look. And when you just get a bunch of stuff thrown at you, which I definitely do, it's just paralysis of decisions versus folks and and companies, whatever you want to call them, who are able to to probably capitalize on this information, they're already capitalizing on other elements in the market. So unless you directly tell them how this is executable, how this will directly bring in value, how they can operate on this, why turn the ship? There's no direct reason to. I'm already successful heading in this direction. Why should I look in this direction? And that always that's kind of the entrepreneurial element of the data and and MTG finance that I get to enjoy daily. It's proving the value, and proving the value is not just in pointing out the insights of what we can see and what we know, but how does that actually help my business? How does that actually help? my bottom line how does that help me invest as you know as an amateur and that begins to get very very tricky because there are so many personal elements and at that point you really have to tailor it whether it's to the individual or company or whatever they're doing and that becomes a full-time job very quickly because you're essentially now tailoring insights and executable information to a specific individual to prove that it has value so you have to basically perform the service for free initially to provide value and hope that it provides enough value that they bring you on. But in this industry, if I'm doing that and I'm going through all that effort anyways, I might as well just pocket all the money for myself, which Mm -hmm. does get into the weird kind of zero sum game that this market has. Yeah. I, I love that we have a community that wants to learn. The struggle I have is when people don't ask questions. I I can't force people to to ask what what they want to learn. And that goes the same with the data that that people develop, you know, it it's good data if they don't share it, nobody else knows. If if that but that's on them. Mm-hmm. They're they're allowed to pick and choose what they do, and I know that a lot of people capitalize on on data for you know twenty four forty eight hours, and then share it. Great. There's still scraps to be able to pick up to be able to pick up from there. That being said, we can't force people to do anything that they don't want to do, but we can say you know what? There's a lot to learn. There's a lot that we can continue to grow through. There's stuff that, that you don't know that you're missing unless you are in conversation with people. So on the one hand, I kind of like the fact that we have, you know, these Twitter trolls that, that say, I have no idea what to do with this data. And at the same time, I also like that we have the opportunity to to just lay it out there and let people do with it as they choose. You know, if we don't know, we don't know. And being in conversation with people that, that know something different than the rest of us, that's, that's a good thing. I'm just, I'm looking forward to, to learning more in this new year. I'm looking forward to, to taking, you know, some, some steps myself to, to continue to, to grow as a, as an MTG financier. That's, this is what I like to do is I like to learn and learning from people that know what they're doing is a great thing. So, I mean, I would, 
definitely be an advocate for this is a hobby at the end of the day looking at the sales totals that tcg player who is supposedly the king of this industry generated in the fourth quarter i hate to pop some people's bubbles here but uh there's not enough money in this industry for it to be a real thing but what you can do to father ken's point is take advantage of the opportunity to learn something in a fun way because anything that you can get in terms of understanding data, executing it here, not quite sure what you do, but if you're doing anything remotely white collar, it's probably gonna help. And even if it's blue collar, the work ethic might still help, but taking something that's fun and enjoyable to you that you are making a little money on and being able to take the mentality of learning and apply that elsewhere, which is very cheesy, but while fortune cookie, I think it's still very, very accurate. So one of the things that I did over the last month is I started a thought experiment. We have a, a group of individuals that are all TCG direct sellers within the ban arbitrage network. And I started thought experiment there. And I started asking the question, at what point can you withdraw $100,000 a year for your uh to support your, your, yourself doing this business. And the thought was, all right, how much churn do you have to have to be able to support yourself in a full-time capacity? I know hundred thousand dollars. That's just an arbitrary number that I picked. My thought is, is that you're going to want to retire at some point. So you're going to put 10% in retirement. You're going to have to pay 15% or 25% to the government. So your take home at the end of the day is probably around you know, 60,000, maybe 75, you know, 60 to 70,000, $5,000 a month. You know, you, you can live pretty much anywhere you want. You know, you know how to get food, you know how to take care of your vehicles and, and pay for life. So that hundred thousand dollar mark became a thought experiment that I just kind of pushed for about 48 hours here. And a lot of people kind of went down the line of, all right, how would I have to turn over that much product to be able to generate $100,000 of profit and not have it be a detriment to my business? And one of the things that, that people said is that you would more than likely have to be at a rate of four times what you wanted to take home. And I just... It, it made me pause for just a minute and it made me think about what I wanted to do long-term. My thought was eventually my kids are going to be done with college, you know, and I'm going to have all that debt to pay off. All right. How do I get to that point of paying off all that debt? And right now that's my, that's my goal with this game of MTG finance is just be able to reduce some of that extemporaneous debt for my kids. And I thought about it and I just went, can I get to the point of, of having a hundred thousand dollars in cards? And then I started looking around at the cards that I have. And one of the other thought experiments that we had was how much product do you actually have stored in your home and what's the value of it? My goodness. Um, when you start realizing that the game could get really serious really quick because of how much product you have, because of how much 
um, how many cards you have in, in different, you know, states and in different decks. And you think about the, the cards that you have just sitting around. I started realizing, man, I should probably get these up on a higher level so they aren't in the floodplain. You know, right now they're all in my basement, but you just think about what you can lose if a catastrophe struck and you realize that, all right, I've got enough cards, I've got enough product here to start churning on some of this, but at the same time, it's going to take years to be able to get to that point of, all right, I've got a half million dollars worth of churn here that I need to be able to get to to make a hundred thousand dollars a year and or to be able to to withdraw a hundred thousand dollars a year from the product that i have and that to me doesn't seem as far off as i thought it would i know a lot of people within our our group that have significant amounts of cards that being said where do we get the churn from to be able to, you know, buy and sell that much? And man, thinking about that in the long term, that is a huge step for a lot of people to be able to say, you know what, I want to do this full time. And we have some people that are in the spot to be able to do that. And we have some people that are going to take the jump without really being in that spot. But that's okay. Everybody has to take their own risks and decide for themselves what they're going to do. So I, I guess long story short, uh, each one of us are in a different spot in our MTG finance journey, but for somebody just starting out Wolf, where would you encourage them to jump into MTG finance in this new year? Pick a small position and Pick eight to 16 copies of that, maybe a half dozen cards, and just sit on that. And that's going to be, I think, the hardest part for anybody who's new is, and it takes the shock and awe out of it. And I'll be honest, I doubt I could probably, I could have probably done this when I started out. I do think it would be the best way, you know, if I could go back and give myself advice, is to pick a half dozen cards, go eight to 16 copies deep on each one, write down the reason why you're going in on it. And then see how they perform and don't touch MTG Finance until you figure out within three to six months how you did. That doesn't mean you can't keep playing, but if you are going to intend to go in, take advantage of the, the, the sales information that you can get off the newspaper, the what's moving across all the different platforms on the KPI platform. Rely on churn more than anything. Churn is everything. Uh, market price is a fictitious number. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Buy list is the real number to really gauge by unless you yourself are setting the market price, which is very difficult to do. So I, I kind of thought along the same line. If if somebody brand new is starting in M2G finance, the one of the things that uh that that people I would encourage people to to kind of focus in on is, Hey, what do you enjoy doing right now? What, what is, how do you interact with the game of empty of magic, the gathering, and then focus in on, on those aspects. You know, if you're a, if you're a tournament grinder, focus in on, on getting cheap, uh, 
cheap staples for your, for your tournaments. Focus in on, on finding those cards that are going to really grow in price. If you're a, if you're an EDH guy or, or, or gal or, or other, go ahead and just focus in on EDH. You know, focus in on the things that, that matter to you in the game. And as you're looking at those things, you'll notice cards that are going up in price. One of the things that, that I noticed, I, I was sitting there talking with some, some young guys in my former play group. They were talking about Meat Hook Massacre at the time. And I jumped in on it. I, I bought four or five copies when they were, you know, you know under 20 bucks. And it was really fun to watch those go through the roof. And then I sold them some of the cards that they sold me uh, when they first entered in. And, you know, it's kind of fun to be able to to give them back cards at a discount because, you know, I don't have fees. Uh, but, you know, just being able to resell those cards is is great. But, you know, you need to know what you're, what you're buying and what you're selling. And I, Steb has just jumped in with a really good piece of advice. You know, you have to think about long-term as well. So if I want to turn over cards today, I'm going to look for, for cheap deals to be able to turn cards over for a profit. But that's just the first move. We also have to think about the, the three to six month rule. A lot of cards that we're buying today are going to mature in three to six months. So you, we have to be able to keep this rolling. We have to be able to keep the win-loss moving forward and build that snowball of a buy and sell. You know, it's kind of fun. It's really interesting to be able to see those things roll over and turn into greater and greater opportunities for MTG Finance. I really like what you what you said, too, about just keying in on what you enjoy most. I'm going to go back to, again, like for me, it's it's all about the data. And even looking at what I believe Desham mentioned about smothering tithe was the 21st best-selling item on tcg player and yet the price didn't really change noticeably for me the fun part's digging into okay how many of those fairy um decks did they sell because i know smothering tithe was in a supplemental product although the set symbol didn't change and if you can sell this many copies mm -hmm. and it's not moving the price point how many of those were actually churned out or what is going on and for me I'm going to spend way too much time having fun digging into that why than I ever will, you know, to your point of buying and selling the cards. For me, that's that's the low side, but you can pick your angle. This is very much like the game itself when you get into finance. Now, all of the rules change, but it is still kind of a game. So find the find the element that piques your interest the most and and just keep hitting it. So long as it stays profitable, whether that's through learning experience, money, or just general enjoyment. To be perfectly honest with you, I think it's the friends that I have in MTG Finance that keep me rolling in it because it forces me to learn from them, but then also to bring value to their lives by who I am. And I think that's the most fun that I get is to be able to talk with people like you, being able to talk with our, our interviewees, being able to spend time doing the activity of relationship while learning something that keeps me, keeps me rolling through it. And I absolutely love that. 
I love being able to bring value to people's lives through just talking about MTG Finance. I love bringing value to people's lives by being a supportive person, being able to talk with people about the hard things in their lives. I'm looking forward to this new year, and I would encourage people, if you're jumping into MTG Finance, just start with what you got. Go through the stuff that you aren't using. Go through the stuff that you aren't that you have sitting around and, and just see what where you can start. You know, if you don't have a lot of cash, take what you have on hand and see what you can do with it. I am absolutely looking forward to this next year. I'm looking forward to the things that are going on and it's it's a whole lot of fun to me to to be able to to add to people's lives. Wolf, do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about? Anything that we missed? No, not off the tip of my tongue here. I think we, we went through the docket pretty well here. Can't say I've got anything else left to add. I think one of the things about us recording early in the morning is that we don't get quite as many people in the BAN Arbitrage Network chat to be able to, to clarify things or to be able to ask questions. But the other thing is, I think we're both more wide awake than we were recording at you know, 9, 10 o'clock at night. Certainly more focused, that's for sure. I love that. We've got uh, several of our friends and several of the people from uh, our EEU partners that are joining in right now. Uh, there is great opportunity for the things that we're doing here at the Ban Arbitration Network for people to jump in. We have partners all over the world, and we have people that are willing to, to, to join in this discussion of where can I make money in MTG Finance. So I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Thanks for taking time really to learn more about MTG Finance and join in the collectible finance discussion. Here at the Ban Arbitrage Network, we combine data and experience to help people learn how to enjoy collectible finance even more. Thank you for joining in the discussion. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>